You are listening to a podcast by Spring Hill Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. Spring Hill Church is called to reach everyday people with God's grace, His unconditional love, and the life-changing power of His Word. Thanks for listening, and if you would like more information, you can visit us online at springhill.cc. Amen. So we are uh, talking about in, in the middle of a series. This is week number three of a series called The Truth About Suffering. And so, you know, one of the things that we have looked at over the past couple of weeks is how much the, the, the issue of human suffering shapes people's perspective of God. And, and uh, so we're going to dive into this a little bit further uh, this week. And so what I want to do is I want us to go to James chapter 5, which has been our foundation scripture for the series. And what we've done is we've gone back and we've probably looked at the greatest case study of human suffering in the scriptures, and that is who? Job, all right? Somebody said job. Well, if you need a job, we'll pray for that too, but it's Job, okay? So we, we're looking at the life of Job, but we want to, and, and on, in the first week we were looking at this, we went over several principles to help you understand Bible interpretation, and so one of the things that we looked at is that you always, in, in where we are in the church age, interpret the Old Testament using the New Testament. So let's look at what James had to say about it. He said, my brethren, this is chapter 5, verses 10 and 11, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Somebody tell me, what does patience mean? Consistency, all right? Doesn't mean you put up with. That's what we, uh, we have a tendency to, to that's called long-suffering. But patience means consistently, consistency, staying the same. So uh, we, we are to look at the prophets in the Old Testament uh, as an example of suffering and patience. Verse 11, indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. So two things that we're supposed to learn from the book of Job is Job's perseverance, how he, he endeavored to remain consistent in the middle of everything that was going on, and then the end that was intended by the Lord. And so I gave you a little insight into what the end of the book is, and you can find this at your leisure in Job chapter 42. But the Bible says that everything that Job lost, God restored double to him. And that was the intended end that the Lord had in mind for Job. And so we've been looking at this, and so let me give you a point that we made last week, and that is this. These verses in James 5 tell us to be inspired by Job's patience perseverance and endurance and the mercy and grace of the Lord that brought great deliverance. So what does that mean for us? Well, how many of you know life happens to all of us? Okay. So what we're supposed to take away from Job is his patience, his perseverance and endurance, and that the Lord brought him out of all of his trials. You know, I'm reminded of the scripture that says, many are the afflictions of the righteous but the Lord leaves him in them so he can suffer and learn something out of them. Is that what the scripture says? No, it says, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of how many? All of them, all right? 
So let's go back to Job chapter 1 and let's look at verses 6 through 12 and let's see uh, the beginning of, of Job's uh, trial. In verse 6, it says this, Now there was a day when the sons of men came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan also came among them. And so we said that in that dispensation in the Old Testament and in the present dispensation we're in, the church age, that the devil does have access at limited times to be able to go into the presence of God. The Bible calls him the accuser of the brethren. How many of you, listen, by the way, if you, if you do, weren't here last, last Sunday, go back and listen to the message because, listen, he tries to bring an accusation against you, but you have a, an, a, a defense attorney who stands up for you and rejects his case. Because why? The punishment has already been paid. Hallelujah. And, the, and verse 7, And the Lord said to Satan, From where do you come? And so Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth and, walking, and from walking back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job that there is none like him on the earth? Now when you look at this in the New King James and the Old King James, it looks like God threw Job under the bus. But if you have a margin reference in your Bible, in the center of your King James Bible, it will say, the correct translation is, have you already set your heart on Job? And you remember we said last week that when God asks a question, it's not because he doesn't already know the answer. He knew what the answer was. He wanted Satan to identify what his real motiv motivation was but he said this, uh, have you already set your heart on Job that there's none like him in the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil? So Satan answered the Lord and said, does Job fear God for nothing? Now notice this word or this, this terminology that Satan uses. Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household and around all that he has on every side? Now, one thing you do need to understand about the devil is he asks questions because he doesn't know the answer. He's not all-knowing like God is. And so he was probing, trying to find an access point into Job's life. So he asked God, he said, listen, you've obviously prospered him. Uh, you know, if you were here the first week that we looked at this, Job was an extremely prosperous man. And so God uh, had obviously blessed him to the, to the best of his ability. And so Satan could observe that and see that. So he was asking God, listen, is the reason for his prosperity because he has that hedge of protection and uh, around you've blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will surely curse you to your face. Now that's what the devil was after the whole time. All right, And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Now, again, it sounds like God threw open the door and said, Have at him. And that's not what God said at all. God was stating a fact that was already established. He said, Behold, look, all that he has is in your power. Only do not lay hand on his person. So Satan went out. From the presence of God. Now, we've already discussed that they're the, one of the main factors that contributed to Satan having an access point into Job's life was this. And if you're writing, 
taking notes, write this down, please. Number one, Job did not have a covenant with God. He was not part of the covenant family of God. He was not of the Jewish lineage and Abraham's heir. So he did not have this covenant relationship with God. And so therefore, he did not have a hedge, a covenant hedge of protection around him. All right? So, so Job did not have this covenant protection. All right? Now, let's, uh, let's go on and look at what the other factor was. I promised you last week that we were going to look at what else opened the door for the enemy to be able to come in. So let's look at Job chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. It says this, And Job's sons would go and feast in their houses each on his appointed day. We, we would say it this way. They like to party. Okay? And it says, And they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And so it was when the days of feasting had run their course that Job would send and sanctify them and he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did regularly. Now, we look at this and we say, man, Job really loved his kids, and I'm sure he did. But notice what happened. He, he wasn't aware that they had sinned, but he tried to cover the bases for them anyway. So he would continually go and offer sacrifices for his children, not because he wanted to worship God, but because he was trying to buy an insurance policy for his children. Now, I said this to you in passing, but I want to say to you again, although this seemed honorable and Job believed he was doing the right thing you cannot do the right thing with the wrong heart motivation and get the right results. So let me say that to you again. It looks on the surface as though Job was worshiping God, but no, what he was trying to do was use an act of worship to bribe God to protect his children. Now, and that's what I mean. That sounds like an honorable thing to do, but, but it's with the wrong heart motivation. You need to worship God because you love God first. Then as you worship God, God will, will bring protection into your life. But let me equate this to you. Let's say, you all know my mother is here and, so, and my stepdad. So let's say I wasn't a pastor. I was kind of wild and, and I like to party. And so I, I was out partying last night and Friday night and Thursday night and every other night, and so I was just having a good time enjoying life and, and indulging in some things that maybe I shouldn't have indulged in, and so every Sunday, my mother comes to church because she's concerned about her children falling away from the Lord. Now, coming to church is a great thing, and you need to come to church but you can't come to church with the heart motivation that you're trying to bribe God into moving in your child's life. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's the wrong heart motivation, okay? And that's what Job was doing. So matter of fact, if we fast forward to Job chapter 3, we actually see what his heart motivation was. Job 3, verses 25 and 26. 
Now, this is after the first wave of destruction had come. It says this, for the thing, this is Job speaking, for the thing I greatly feared has come upon me and what I dreaded has happened to me. I am not at ease, nor am I quiet. I have no rest for trouble comes. So we see here the thing that opened the door for Job to experience the destruction that he did, what opened the door for the devil to be able to come in and bring that destruction was number one, the fact that he didn't have a hedge of protection, a covenant edge, and then number two, through fear, he opened the door for the devil to be able to come in. Now, let me talk to you about fear for just a second. Fear connects you to the thing that you're afraid of, okay? It, write this down, please. Job was in fear of those things happening to him and his household. That was the real motivation that he was, was offering those sacrifices. It was a motivation rooted in fear. Now, I want to say something to you. You should never come to church, worship God, give offerings, give of your finances, do those things because you're afraid that you're displeasing God. That's a wrong heart motivation. All of those things are good and they are valid and things that we should do, but you shouldn't do them with that heart motivation. And see what religion does, religion will try and get you to respond to God out of fear. And that's not the way God wants us to respond to him. God wants us to respond to him out of faith. Okay, so let's look at fear for just a second. Again, as I said, fear connects you to the things that you are afraid of, just like faith attaches you to the things that you believe God for. Fear and faith are the same spiritual force. It's just one works towards God and the other works towards your adversary. Okay, are, are you tracking with me? You're awfully quiet. Are you just listening? Okay. See, let me say it to you this way. Fear is faith in something's ability to harm you. Okay. Now, one of the things, and you know, this might be merited, I don't know, but I do not like snakes. I especially don't like venomous snakes. Okay. Uh, and, and I'm amazed. I watch, you know, some of these wildlife videos on YouTube and then on, you know, Discovery and so forth where these guys will handle these venomous snakes. And I'm like, you guys are idiots, okay? You're asking for trouble. But what I have to be careful of is I don't operate in fear because what will happen is, like, especially when I go down to, you know, the, our family's farm down in, in Florida, uh, where my grandmother lived, you know, there are two or three different breeds of, or species of rattlesnakes. There's coral snakes. There's water moccasins. There's all kinds of stuff. And, uh, you know, if you were really bound up in fear, you wouldn't leave the house. You wouldn't step outside, okay? But you get over that after a period of time. But my point is this. If I am that afraid of those snakes, it, what it is is I have faith in their ability to harm me. And here's the problem with that. Now, again, you got to use some common sense, but God has already told me that he would protect me from them. 
All right? So either I am going to have faith in that snake's ability to harm me, or I'm going to have faith in God's ability to protect me. Now, I don't go looking for them. Don't misunderstand me. But I have to trust that God said that he would protect me from those things. Are, are you following me? Okay, so Job was in fear of these things happening to him. Fear will open the door for the adversary to be able to bring destruction into your life. So a believer should not be functioning in fear. That's why in the Bible, over 365 times, it, the scripture is very clear. It says, do not fear or you shall not be afraid or some variation of that. But we're told we are not to let fear have control and dominate our lives. Are you listening to me? All right. Now, all that being said, I want to take a little journey for, for the latter part of the message today. And I want to dive into something, and that is this. Look at this. This isn't in your notes. This is free. We must have the revelation that God is not behind the destruction, and he does not use the devil to cause destruction in your life. I'm going to say that again. God is not behind the destruction, and he does not use the devil to cause destruction in your life. You, you know, you'll hear uh, when a tornado comes through and causes a bunch of damage. You know, even the insurance co companies call it an act of God. God doesn't bring tornadoes and tear people's houses up. Sometimes it's just weather. Sometimes it can be the devil. But what I want you to understand is God does not go around tearing up people's stuff, destroying their lives to try and get their attention. He doesn't do that kind of thing, all right? Now, so he is not behind the destruction, and by the way, he does not hire the devil to do his dirty work for him, okay? The devil is self-employed. He does that kind of stuff on his own. He doesn't need God to hire him, all right? So what I want to do is I want to spend some time this morning looking at another situation in the Bible that is greatly misunderstood. And I want to talk about Paul's thorn in the flesh. We're going to go back to Job later on, but I want us to look at Paul's thorn in the flesh. Anybody ever heard of Paul's thorn in the flesh? All right, so let's go look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 7, and I want to dive into this and kind of help unravel it for you so you kind of understand what was going on. So Paul said this in 2 Corinthians 12, 7, and lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Now, what is Paul saying here? Well, let me give you a little background on Paul. First of all, I've, I've read where some historians believe that Paul, for his day, was one of the most intelligent men that was walking the face of the planet. He was a Hebrew scholar. He was full, uh, fully engulfed and immersed in Hebrew culture. 
and in the Old Testament, and, and he was absolutely brilliant. Not only that, but when he, when he started ministering to the Gentiles, he was able to blend in and go to different cultures, the Greek culture and the Roman culture, and was able to adapt the gospel to that culture simply because he had such a great understanding of the people, the languages, and all those types of things. And so as a result of his conversion, many of you have heard the story about how on the road to Damascus, he got dramatically saved, gave his life to Jesus Christ. And so what we often miss is the first 13 years of Paul's life as a believer, he spent being personally taught by the Lord himself the revelations that he received. Let me give you an example. Um, Paul is the one that teaches in the New Testament about the miracle of the body of Christ. Well, how did he learn that? The Lord Jesus taught it to him. Um, you know, he said, and, and we often acknowledge this, where ministering communion, receiving communion is concerned. You remember Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, For I have received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, the same night in which Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and so forth. Paul was not there the night that Jesus received the Last Supper with his disciples, but the Lord Jesus told Paul about it. So what does this mean? This means that Paul, because of his assignment, was greatly gifted by the Lord with revelation, knowledge, and insight about, about God, the church, about Jesus and, and what Jesus accomplished for us. And so what was happening is because of this, these revelations, it enabled Paul to have a great level of influence, not only to minister to sinners, to preach the gospel and to lead them to Christ, but also to minister to Christians. Now, Paul was an apostle. Uh, you know, an apostle was not a title that he just wore and had printed on his, his business cards. An apostle in the New Testament, the word apostle means one who is sent. And his assignment was he was sent to the Gentiles to win them to Christ. And as you know, we have record of many of the churches that he started and helped to pioneer. One of them was the church at Corinth. He, he birthed a lot of the churches in Galatia, the church at Ephesus, the church at Thessalonica. All of these churches, Paul helped bring about and to plant. And as he did, you know, it wasn't where he would be like a traveling evangelist and go in for one night and preach in these places. No, Paul would often go in, establish this work, and stay two, three, four years in that particular city to make sure that that church was established and help to raise up leadership from within that church. So Paul was able to exercise a great level of influence among sinners and among Christians. And so because of this, his, his level of influence and exposure was growing all the time. I mean, think about it, y'all. Here we are 2,000 years later and two-thirds of our New Testament was written by this apostle, of course, by the Holy Spirit. And we refer to his messages and ministry even today. That's pretty good. You know, I know you guys love me. I know that my messages are out online and stuff. But I don't know if 2,000 years from now there will be people standing around talking about 
what I preached. Okay, maybe so, I don't know. But I do know that here God was using this man in a great way. So here's my point in saying this. Because of this, he became a target. Okay? Now, look at this. I, I put this on the screen for you. Paul said this, the messenger of Satan was sent. What's interesting, that word messenger is the Greek word angelos, which we get the word angel from. And what that means is, is it was a spirit being that was assigned to harass, it, it was dispatched to keep Paul from two things, from gaining additional status and influence and keep him from taking the gospel further and higher in the world scene. It was sent to buffet Paul. You remember that's what he said. A messenger of Satan has been sent to buffet me. Now, anybody in here a boxing fan? Anybody in here you're afraid to admit you're a boxing fan? Anybody ever watched boxing before? Okay, all right. So you know that one of the keys to winning a boxing match is to be able to buffet your opponent. What that means, not buffet, buffet your opponent, all right? And what that means is you're able to uh, make contact with punches on a consistent basis in order to weaken and ultimately defeat your opponent. And so when Paul said, this messenger of Satan was sent to buffet me, that's exactly what this, uh, this spirit being was assigned to do. Now, I want to give you seven things about Paul's thorn that you need to understand. And these will go quick. We'll be through about 3, 34 o'clock, all right? So, all right. So, things we need to understand about Paul's thorn. Here's number one. The devil will never send a thorn or a, a spirit being, demon, whatever, to keep someone from being lifted up in pride. You know, I've heard it said that Paul's thorn was designed because the Lord felt like he was getting prideful. And so it's very clear this was a messenger from Satan, not a messenger from God. All right? Now, here's something you need to understand. If Satan wants to bring destruction in someone's life, the one thing he's not going to do is stop them from getting prideful. What does the Scripture say? It says this, uh, in Proverbs 16, 18, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. So if, 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 if the devil wanted Paul to get lifted up in pride, the one thing he's going to do is leave him alone where these revelations are concerned and let the man get prideful. Now I want to show you what this looked like manifested in the natural, what this messenger of Satan was doing and how it showed up in the natural. So let me show you in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. This isn't in your notes, but verses 24 through 27. Let me show you how this showed up. Paul recorded in the 2 Corinthians 11, he said this, from the Jews five times I received 40 stripes minus one. In other words, five times Paul was beaten 30, with 39 stripes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Not with marijuana, but stone. Okay. I just thought I'd say that. All right. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep, in journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, 
in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toy, toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, and cold and nakedness. So what does this mean? What I want you to notice is all the things in there that were inflicted on him by other human beings. Okay? Now, keep these scriptures in your mind because we're going to talk about them a little bit later on. All right? So again, here's the, uh, th this, this point I want you to get. The devil will never send a thorn to keep someone from being lifted up in pride. If anything, he's going to leave you alone and let you get lifted up in pride because why? Pride comes before what? And destruction, the scripture says. Okay? So if, if the devil wants to bring destruction in your life, all he's got to do is let you get a little prideful. You start feeling good about yourself and that you're it on a stick. Okay? All right. So, but what was happening is this, is that it was backfiring, all right? Because what was happening is, and here's number two, Jesus was being exalted and glorified through Paul because of the abundance of these revelations. So because Paul had these revelations that we now know as the scriptures, that Jesus was being lifted up. Now, what happens? What did Jesus say? He said, he told his disciples something. He said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to me. So I can promise you, if in your life, Jesus is being lifted up, there will be people that will be drawn to him. So think about how Jesus was being exalted through Paul's ministry. And so therefore, Paul was was glorifying the Lord Jesus and people were being brought to Christ. You know, think about this. Paul was preaching to kings, governors, world leaders. He was establishing churches, writing New Testament scriptures, pushing back the forces of hell. His personal influence was growing and his impact was increasing day by day. Okay? So Paul was doing everything he could to glorify the Lord. Now here's number three. The third thing I want you to see about Paul's thorn in the flesh, and that is this. The thorn in the flesh mentioned here is not a reference into something internal such as sickness or disease. You know, I read a, a, a commentary, and I couldn't help but laugh. I read a commentary that said Paul had a club foot. And so that's why he, that was his thorn in the flesh, that he had trouble functioning because he had a club foot. I also read other commentaries that said Paul had an ophthalmological, an eye problem, okay? And, uh, you know, he had eye issues that were going on all the time and, and all of these physical infirmities that Paul dealt with. Well, you know, I, I don't, I'm going to say that's, that's not true, from the sense of, in this particular reference, the word infirmities is, is, has nothing to do with sickness or disease. 
Now, you remember I told you in the first lesson in this series about a scriptural law of interpretation called the law of first mentions, which says God always has the right idea the first time around. Do you remember me saying that to you? So when God brings something up and establishes something in the scriptures, it will hold true throughout the rest of the Bible. So Paul, being a Hebrew scholar, when he uses a phrase like, there was this messenger of Satan, a thorn in the flesh that was sent to buffet me, okay? He is referring to something external, not internal, something physically going on with his body. Let me show it to you. In Numbers 33, verses 55, it says this, but if, and this is the, the Lord talking to the children of Israel. But if you do not drive out the inhabitants of the land before you, then it shall be that those whom you let remain shall be irritants in your eyes and thorns in your sides, and they shall harass you in the land where you dwell. Now, did God tell them that these thorns were going to be sickness and disease? No, he said the people that you don't drive out of the promised land are going to be uh, briars in your eyes and thorns in your side, and they're going to harass you, okay? Look at Joshua chapter, chapter 23, verse 13. This is a warning against the children of Israel with co-marrying with, with people outside of, of the Jewish people. And he said this, Know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations from before you, but they shall be snares and traps to you and scourge, scourges on your sides and thorns in your eyes until you perish from this good land which the Lord your God has given you. So again, the people, everybody say people. The people will be thorns in your sides or thorns in your eyes, okay? Nowhere in, in the Old Testament and in the New Testament when this phrase, thorn in the flesh, is mentioned, does it refer to sickness and disease? Are you listening to me? Okay, here's number four. Paul's thorn in the flesh was the people who opposed him and irritated him and continually caused him problems. Now, if you're a student of the New Testament at all, particularly the book of Acts and the epistles, everywhere Paul went, Supernaturally, people were raised up to harass him, to cause him to be falsely accused, to cause him to be arrested, caused all kinds of problems for Paul. Now, primarily, although it affected Paul's life and ministry, this wasn't about Paul. It was about stopping the furtherance of the gospel. It was about stopping the growth of the church. It was the enemy who was endeavoring to keep this from going any further. So again, let me read to you 2 Corinthians 12, 7. Unless I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted by measure. Now I want to read to you a correct translation of that verse from the Greek language as provided by Rick Renner from the Sparkling Gems from the Greek. So it'll be on the screen for you. Look at this. Because, and this is Paul speaking, because of the phenomenal revelations I have received, 
And on account of the vast number of these revelations that God has entrusted to me and to hinder the highly visible progress I am making in the Lord's cause, a special messenger has been sent from Satan to harass me with constant distractions and headaches. There's no doubt about it. He goes on to say, those whom Satan has stirred up against me want my head on a stake. Satan is using these people to constantly buffet and distract me in an attempt to keep me from reaching a higher level of visibility and recognition and to sidetrack me from preaching my revelations. So this is what Paul is saying. So I want to clearly say Paul's thorn was not sickness or disease. It was people being stirred up by the power of the enemy in order to stop the furtherance of the gospel, okay? Now, here's number five. I'll tell you what, let me read these scriptures first. 2 Corinthians 12, verses 8 through 10. Now, and here's where people get tripped up. Paul said this, concerning this thing, what thing? The messenger of Satan, the thorn in the flesh, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he, God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. So here's the way religion has interpreted this. I prayed to God to deliver me from this, and God said, no, you're going to have to put up with it because my grace is sufficient. Okay, so again, keeping in mind whether this is an eye issue, a club foot, some type of sickness or disease, whatever the case might be, they have taken this and Paul begged God to deliver him and to heal him three times and the Lord said, no, you're going to have to put up with it and uh, just to help you out, my grace is sufficient. Okay, that's the way people have interpreted this. So Paul goes on to say, therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now here's number five. Write this down, please. The word infirmities in this scripture does not refer to sickness and disease at all. So Paul said, he said again, therefore most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities. So what is it that he's referring to is an, the infirmity. It is the distressing, unsettling emotions from dealing with problem people. Somebody said, I have that thorn. <laughs> Anybody in here ever deal with distressing, unsettling problem people? Okay, all right. So this is what Paul was having to deal with, not some type of sickness and disease. And so what happened again, as Paul would go into a city to minister the gospel, this spirit, this messenger would go in and stir the people up and get them agitated against Paul, hoping that Paul would be arrested or whatever the case was in order to shut down his ministry. It was not some type of physical infirmity, okay? Now, what did Paul pray? I prayed, he said, three times 
For the Lord, what did he say? He said this, I, I sought the Lord that it might depart from me. In other words, I prayed and asked God that this thing would leave me alone. I'm going to ask you a question, and you don't have to answer, but have you ever prayed a prayer about those people on your job that get on your nerves? Lord, I pray that you would move them out. I pray that they would, would find another job. I pray that, that you would do something in, in, to keep them from bothering me. Okay? Well, it's kind of like what Paul was praying. All right? Now, here's something that's, that might shock you, but it's the truth, and I'll explain it. Here's number six. God could not answer this prayer for Paul. Now, that might be a shock to you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shock you even further. This is a prayer God cannot and will not answer for you. So when you have problem people in your life and you pray for God to deliver you from them, he will not answer that prayer. You know why? You want me to tell you why? The only way he can answer that prayer is for you to go to heaven. Because guess what? You live here in the earth. And as long as you're here in the earth, you're going to deal with people. Anybody listening to me? Okay. All right. See, Paul was praying to be delivered from these problem people. And the reason could not, God could not answer this prayer is because if he removed this particular group of people it would not be long before another group would show up and do the same thing. Have you ever noticed that, you know, and I thought about when I was not working for the church and before I came to work for the church and I was working a secular job, that, that there were certain types of people that I found out were on every job. <laughs> Anybody else had that revelation before? Okay. And so, you know, as much as I would want those people not to be around and for God to deliver me from them, if he did and I changed the environments, guess what? There's going to be more people exactly like what I just left. Okay. All right. Let, let me give you a little revelation. Here we go. As long as we live in this world, we will have to deal with people whom we don't enjoy or whom the devil tries to use to steal our joy and our peace. You, you ever gone into work and, man, you were feeling good. The birds were singing. The flowers were blooming. Everything was good. Traffic was so easy. And, and you even had time to stop at Starbucks and get you some coffee and a, and a muffin. And, and so you were, man, it, life was good. And you walk in the door on your job and somebody does something or says something that absolutely pops your bubble and steals your joy and peace. So here's what, what I want you to see. If we constantly focus on getting rid of these people, we'll be praying to be delivered from these people, whoever these people are, for the rest of our lives. And as I said, the only way this can happen is for you to go home to be with the Lord. And I don't know about you, I'm looking forward to going to heaven, but I'm not ready to go right now. 
Okay? So, so what is the answer? What is it that, that God told Paul? Well, here's number seven. God said this, my grace is sufficient. What, what, what is God saying? God is saying, now that word grace there, it means this. It is a supernatural empowerment. It's not the flowery, churchy word. It, grace actually comes from the Greek word charis, which is the word we get gift from, like gifts of the Spirit. All right, so grace is actually a supernatural empowerment that God will bring to pass in your life to help you deal with problem people. Okay, so what am I saying? When, when Paul prayed that prayer and the Lord responded and said, my grace is sufficient for you, here's what he was saying, what God was saying, I can't answer that prayer like you want me to, but here's what I can do. I will give you supernatural anointing and power so you will be able to navigate through life and be able to deal with these problem people. Have you ever thought about all of those things that I read to you earlier that Paul endured in his ministry? Have you ever thought about how can one person go through all of that and, and just not give up. You want me to help you? You want me to tell you? It's supernatural. You want me to tell you how you're going to be able to work that job even in spite of those problem people that are on your job? It's going to be supernatural. You're going to have to receive God's grace, this empowerment that he wants to bring to pass in your life to help you. Now listen, most of you are not going to be called to endure the things that Paul had to endure. Now, here's what I do believe. When you hear about somebody who's called to be a missionary to go into some hard part of the world, you know, say, you know, some of the deepest parts of Africa or South America or someplace like that, you need to understand something because, you, you know, I, I used to pray, Lord, please don't send me. Please don't send me. I'll do whatever you want me to do. I love you, Jesus. But please don't send me to be a missionary, okay? <laughs> now, here's what I know. He won't. You know why? Because if he were to do that, he would put a supernatural ability on my life to be able to do that. And with that supernatural ability would come a supernatural desire, okay? All right, so listen, let me, let me set your mind at ease. I know some of you are like, you're afraid to totally sell out to Jesus because you're afraid Jesus will send you someplace like, like Africa in the jungle somewhere. He won't. He won't. Don't worry. Because if he was, he would have already given you the desire and the hunger to go reach those people. Okay? Aren't you glad? Praise the Lord. All right? So let me help you. Okay? Let me give you the correct translation of that verse 9, when God responded to Paul. Here's what God was saying. My grace is more than enough to protect you and empower you and help you deal with the problem people you encounter in life. Now, I want, to, I want you to think about something for just a moment. We're talking about problem people here that Paul dealt with. We're talking about people that picked up rocks and stoned him and left him for dead. 
You know what Paul did? The, the disciples gathered around him, raised him from the dead, and Paul went right back into the city to go continue to minister to them. That's hard for us to understand. But when you have that supernatural grace on you, you don't want to quit. Okay? All right? So you will find that my grace, everybody say grace. You will find that my grace is completely satisfactory in meeting your need and that it will, uh, you'll find that my grace is completely satisfactory in meeting your need and that it will make you sufficiently strong to deal with these situations. If you'll receive it, you will find that it will sufficiently endow you with more than you need to deal with any situation. My power, God speaking, my power is always on hand available to help you in moments when you are weak and needy. You want me to help you? God doesn't, when you're experiencing tough times, God doesn't want you to go through that difficult time without his supernatural help. The problem is, number one, we don't know about it, and number two, we don't know to receive it. Now, I'm not saying life does not get hard and that things do not happen that challenge us and are extremely difficult. But I will tell you this, if you will make yourself available to the grace of God, God will tell you just like he told Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. In other words, my grace will supernaturally empower you not only to bring you through that situation, but to bring you through that situation better off than when you went into the situation. My power is always on hand, God said, available to help you in moments when you are weak and needy. See, what we want to do when we're weak and needy is cry about being weak and needy. What does the Bible say? Let the weak say, I am strong. Okay? So here's what I want to challenge you with today. Here's what Paul had to do. Here's what we're going to have to do. Whether it's dealing with problem people, whether it's dealing with tough circumstances, whether it's dealing with difficult situations, here's what we're going to have to do. Start asking God to release his power to change you so you can walk in peace and victory even when people fail or disappoint you. Can I get an amen? If you and I can learn to appropriate the power of God to deal with people, listen, the devil won't be able to use people to steal your joy and victory anymore. You know, with some of us, all the devil has to do is he's, he just observes and he sees, okay, so-and-so gets on your nerves. So I'm going to make sure so-and-so is constantly around to harass you. So what, what you do to flip the script on him is you in your private time with the Lord say, Lord, I receive your grace. I receive the love of God on the inside of me. And I believe for that supernatural power of God to be able to put up with so-and-so, to walk in love towards them, and they're not going to bother me. And you know what you just did? You pulled the rug out from underneath what the devil's plan was. And so that's what we have the opportunity to do. And I want you to see that, yes, we are going to have to deal with those situations. But the good news is God gives us a supernatural ability 
to make it through those situations and come out on the other side better off than when we went into the situation. Have I helped anybody today? Amen. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the word that we've heard today. I thank you, Father, again, that has fallen on the good ground, the people of Spring Hill Church. And yes, Lord, uh, you have, you've said that in this world there will be trouble, that we're going to deal with situations. We're going to deal with people whom the enemy would like to use to harass and cause our lives to be diminished. But I thank you, Father, that there is a grace that's available for us that we can receive, that we can walk in, and we can operate in that and stop his plans from coming to pass. And that, Father, we can keep people from being used by him in the sense of we cannot allow whatever he stirs up to affect us because of that grace. And Father, I thank you for that. Thank you that we have that resource available to us, that in the middle of times when, when things are hard, that Lord, we can make it through that because of your supernatural power that resides within us. Oh, Father, I thank you for that and I praise you for it. I thank you, Lord, for every single person under the sound of my voice. I pray, Father, for every person that might be dealing with difficult situations and circumstances right now. Lord, I just agree with them for that supernatural grace to rise up big within them, to give them the power and the ability that they need to navigate through every storm of life that comes our way. And Father, I thank you that you have promised us that when we would do that, when we would depend on you and when we lean upon that grace, that storm will not be, bring, be able to bring destruction into our lives. And so, Father, I agree with them right now for that grace, that peace, that joy, Lord, that the enemy cannot fully take away. And Lord, we thank you for it. We praise you for it. And we love you, Jesus, with all of our hearts. And we give you all the praise for it. In Jesus' precious name, amen and amen. Thanks once again for tuning in to the Spring Hill Church podcast. We hope that you have been blessed by today's message. If you would like more information about the church, please feel free to visit us at springhill.cc.